Would you turn into 1 John chapter 3? Father, we love you, God. We come before you today and thank you, God, for your, uh, your mercy. Lord, we come uh, boldly today to your throne of grace, knowing that you've uh, uh, paid a debt that we couldn't pay, paid a debt that you did not owe. And God, we just ask that you would, uh, that you would be with the reading of your word today. Lord, even if I, if I happen to mess it all up, God, we pray that just the reading of your text would go forth in power. We know that you said it would go out and it wouldn't come back void. It wouldn't come back without accomplishing what you've sent it to do. And God, we thank you today for that. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for what you've given us. We thank you that we can come, um, we can come boldly. We can come without fear. We can come knowing that uh, the price has been paid. And we, uh, we just ask that you would teach us today, that you would uh, uh, take this word and that it would, uh, it would grow forth in our hearts and it would come out in our lives as we go and, and uh, be a minister for you. Uh, wherever we are, in, in our jobs or in our schools, wherever we happen to be, God, that you would use us for your glory and you would use us for your name. And we thank you for that. Help me today, God, as we, uh, as we look at your word. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we've been talking in First John about evidence. We've been talking about evidence of, uh, of being born again. We've been talking about uh, the assurance that you have been born again. We know that uh, John wrote this letter. I tell you about every time. It's something you need to make sure you keep in your mind that he wrote this letter so that you may know that you have eternal life. It's not so that you may hope so that you have eternal life or that you uh, uh, will uh, walk around worrying that you have eternal life, but that you will know and that you will walk in that knowledge that you have eternal life. You've been born again. And he's shown us he's shown us some evidences. He's shown us the evidences that we're going to see over and over again. He's shown us a few examinations that we should take of ourselves, whether we are uh, truly believing what God has said about himself, what Christ has said about himself. Whether we are uh, obeying his commandments, whether we're uh, seeking after, following after his commands. We're not talking about perfection. We're not talking about sinlessness, but we're talking about chasing after Christ's righteousness in his kingdom. Like he said, seek my righteousness, seek forth first, uh, seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness. Then all these things will be added to you. And then we have the test today that we're going to look at, the test uh, uh, of love. Last time we were here, we talked about being adopted. We talked about, uh, we talked about you don't have to do anything to be adopted. You don't have to work for your adoption. You don't have to work to stay adopted. It's a, it's a gift of God and there's no, uh, there's no, uh, um, nothing you can do to get it. Nothing you can do to keep it. All you do is receive it by faith. All you do is grab hold of what he's offering you today as a gift and it's yours. And then he shows you what, what happens if you weren't here. I got the privilege of preaching last Sunday night and we just continued right on in first John. And we talked about the, the evidence of, uh, of obedience that you are following after his commands. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. And we talked about that. And so we're going to start today in, in, uh, in uh, really verse 10. That goes with what we read before, but it kind of sets up this test of love. We're going to talk about loving the brethren today. We're going to talk about what God does in your heart so that you love God's people. And right before we start, we can already say we've already seen John. If you've read this letter from the very beginning to right now, you know, he says that if you say that you're without sin, you're a liar. So we're not talking about perfection. We're not talking about a perfect love yet. When you see him face to face and you're changed in the twinkling of an eye, you'll have a perfect love. But until then, we're going to be working with that love. It's going to be warring against the flesh in us. 
And so he says in verse 10, we read this last time, uh, last Sunday night, it says, in this, the children of God are manifest. This is what he's been talking about. He says, we, uh, we, we don't chase after sin. We chase after Christ and his righteousness. He says, in this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. He said, whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God. And then this little phrase right here introduces the section we're going to go into. It says, neither he that loveth not his brother. That's it. It's kind of a setup for the test of whether you love the brethren or not. The brother here, the brethren he's going to talk about is your uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. Your, we are part of the family. Remember, he started this whole, uh, this, this whole chapter off with being adopted. You've been adopted in the family. We are children of God now. That's what it says. What manner of love has God showed upon us that we should be called the children of God? And he's talking about in this family, you now have brothers and sisters. You have those who've also been redeemed in Christ. You have those, no matter who you are, no matter what you do, no matter how old you are, how young you are, how how fat you are, skinny you are, how uh, you know if you're a, a black person, white person, if you a uh, you know a Puerto Rican or a Russian or whatever, if you've been united in Christ, you have a bond that goes beyond all those categories, all those distinctions. You are brothers and sisters in the family of God, and it says. The evidence, one of the evidences we're going to see that you've been born again, that you know that you have eternal life, is that you have a love for the brethren. And we're going to explain what that love is. We're going to explain what it, what it is here from the text. And John's going to tell us what that love looks like. He's going to tell us what that love does in your heart. And it's all going to be from God's power. You, I can't stress that enough. When we talk, every time we talk in this letter of 1 John, if we, if we, if we keep uh, on going... And God allows us to just work through the whole book without uh, without changing what we're doing. Uh, it, every time we're going to talk about it, it's going to be God's power working in you. It's not going to be your effort. It's not going to be, he's not going to preach to you today. He's not going to tell you today, hey, go out and you better love more so God will love you. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the gospel is. He's going to say, I'm going to do this in you. I'm going to put this love in you. First Thessalonians chapter four, I think it is. It says, you don't need anybody to write to us about love because you're taught of God to love the brethren in first Thessalonians. So it's God's work in you. So he says, uh, he says right here. That this is nothing new, this command to love one another, to love the brethren, for to love your brother. It's nothing new. In verse 11, it says, for this is the message. This is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Once again, John's telling us, look, I'm not introducing something brand new here. This is not, this shouldn't be surprising. This is not a new revelation. This is not a new thing. Jesus himself said all the commandments. If you want to list them, see if you're doing good. He said, you can sum them all up. In two things, you love the Lord, your God, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the whole command of God. Love covers a multitude of sins. He says, look, this is not a new thing. Actually, this love to love one another, to love the brethren. This is the message that you've heard from the very beginning. This is what you've heard. And if you remember in the last chapter, he told us we need to abide in what we've heard from the beginning. We don't need a new thing. We don't need somebody to come tell us something that the church has not known for 2000 years or that. The apostles didn't write down in scripture. We don't need that. We need to abide in what we've known from the beginning. So he shows us the evidence of this love and he's going to use an Old Testament person. He's going to use Cain. Uh, And you know the story of Cain and Abel, but I'll probably uh, talk about it just a little bit. It says we're to love one another. Verse 12, not as Cain 
who was of the, that wicked one. Notice that Cain was of that wicked one and he slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Why did he kill him? Why did he slew him? He said, wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brothers were righteous. So he gives us an example right from the beginning of what not to be. He said, don't be like Cain, who was of the wicked one. And what did he do? Because he was of the wicked one, he killed his brother. If you know the story, I'm not going to go back and explain it completely, but I'm sure you know it. Uh, We are to love the brethren. So what he does is he goes all the way back to the beginning. He said, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. And he goes all the way back to the beginning and he gives you two brothers the first two brothers the first two brothers that ever existed on the planet you had adam and eve they had the same parents cain and abel had the same parents uh they were raised together they were taught together one was of the wicked one and one was uh one was a righteous one and we're going to see why he was righteous in just a minute hold on to that thought and it says look uh they were what happened was if you don't know the story what happened was they were both instructed we know if in some way shape or form to bring an offering to god now when you think of somebody who is of the wicked one today what are you thinking you're thinking atheist you're thinking rabid god hater but that's not what cain was cain was very religious he brought his offering just like abel brought his offering They were told to bring an offering to God. They brought their offerings to God. Cain was a farmer. He brought the fruit of his labor. He brought the the fruit of the ground. And Abel was a shepherd and he brought the firstlings of his flock. He brought a blood sacrifice. Now, what happened was God accepted Abel's sacrifice. God rejected Cain's sacrifice. And there's lots of discussion about why it's probably, probably good discussion. And it's probably true that Abel's was a blood sacrifice. Cain's wasn't. But Hebrews chapter 11, verse four tells us exactly why Abel's sacrifice was accepted and Cain's was not accepted. It says by faith in, in uh, uh, Hebrews eleven four by faith, Abel gave a more perfect offering by faith. It was Abel's faith in God in his offering that made it acceptable and Cain's lack of faith. But what I want to show you, the reason why John shows us this here, the reason why he points to these two brothers is uh, is because Cain's problem was not that he was a murderer. Cain's problem was that he was of the wicked one. And the reason he committed murder was because he was of the wicked one. It didn't, not the other way around. He, he didn't become of the wicked one because he committed murder. He was of the wicked one and that's why he committed murder. Let me show you what I mean. I'm, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to flip over just to Genesis chapter four. And I'm going to read you two verses and I want to show you something that a lot of people really miss. A lot of people don't, don't, uh, don't, uh, grab a hold of as we look at it in, in chapter four, you can write it down. Genesis four, verse five, Cain's offerings not accepted, but God didn't just zap Cain. God didn't just throw judgment on Cain when his sacrifice was not accepted. God gave Cain mercy. God gave Cain an opportunity to come to him. God gave Cain an opportunity to repent and to believe in God and to trust him and to be one of God's children. In verse five of Genesis chapter four, I'm just going to read it to you. It says, but Cain and his offering, he had not respect. God didn't respect his offering. And Cain was very wroth. He was upset and his countenance fell. He was his face was downcast. And the Lord said unto Cain, why art thou wroth? He said, what's wrong? Why are you angry? Why is thy countenance fallen? And then look at what it says in verse seven. You probably on the screen. It says, if thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. 
And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and, it, and unto thee shall be its desire, and shalt, thou shalt rule over him. And so what he says is, why are you downcast? I mean, if, you do, if you do what I've asked you to do, won't you be accepted? Uh, it wasn't like Cain's offering. He brought the offering and God said, no, your offering's not acceptable because you haven't come to me the right way. Bang, zap, you're, you're judged and you're outcast and you're gone. No, what happened was God said, look, there's no reason for you to be upset. You just need to come do it the right way. You just need to come and trust in me. You need to bring the acceptable sacrifice that you've been instructed to do and everything will be fine. He said, but if you don't do that, you need to make sure you understand that sin is lying at the door and it's waiting to have you. He said, but you can master it. Just just come to me by faith. And the very next verse in that chapter, it says, Cain, instead of coming to God in repentance and faith, coming to him the way God prescribed for him to come, he said he took his brother out into the field and he killed him. He took his brother out into the field and killed him. And so what we see here, what John is showing you, he says, don't be like Cain was Cain's problem was his heart was not right. He was of the wicked one, not because he committed murder, but the murder was evidence that he was because God gave him an opportunity. God gave him a path to come to him. God gave him the same doorway by faith to come to him that he gave Abel. But Cain chose to refuse that doorway. Cain chose to refuse to come to God. And therefore it was evidence that, that in his heart that he was of the wicked one and he went out and he murdered. He went out and he murdered his his brother. And so John's point here, even though even though uh, we know that Cain was uh, a murderer, we know. But what we see here is that God gave him the opportunity to come to him by faith. God gave him the opportunity. And what happened was the hatred that Cain had for his brother. Why did he hate him? Why did he murder him? It says in first John, we just saw it a minute ago. It said because his deeds were evil. We know it says, uh, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and slew his brother. And wherefore did he slew him? Because his own works were evil and his brothers were righteous. You don't need anything other than to live for Christ for people to hate you. That's going to be a fact. It's going to be, it was a fact all the way back there when Cain was alive, Cain and Abel. It's a fact today. If you, everyone who seeks to live a holy life will be persecuted. You don't have to run around thumping people on the head with the Bible. You don't have to run around uh, doing all the things that you uh, would think would bring persecution. If you are following Christ, if you're living according to what he would have you to do, if you're walking after the spirit, if you are chasing after his commands, chasing after pleasing him, you're going to be hated. You're going to be persecuted. In fact, John says in the very next verse, he says, verse 13 says, is that 13? Man, it's small print. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. Why? Don't be surprised. It's always been that way. It's been that way from the very first two brothers. The very first two brothers, God said, you come to me by faith. I will accept you. He said that to Cain. He said that to Abel, both of them. They were both of the same lineage. They were both had the same parents. He said, and even when Cain messed up, brought the wrong thing, didn't trust God, didn't have faith, didn't come to God the way that he said to come to him. God gave him an opportunity. He said, why are you wroth? Why are you, is your face downcast? Why is your countenance fallen? He said, if you do what I told you to do, won't you be accepted? He offered Cain acceptance. He offered Cain to bring him into the family. 
But instead of trusting God by faith, instead of coming to God the way he said to come to him, Cain went out and he persecuted the one who was holy. The one who was coming to God by faith. The one who was. We don't read anywhere that Abel was going, nah, 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 nah. My, my sacrifice was accepted and yours wasn't. We don't read anywhere where Abel was being... Uh, uh, ugly to Cain or, or inciting him to anything. We don't read anywhere where Abel was saying, Hey, you better do right. Like me, you better do what I'm doing because this is the way you're supposed to live. Abel was just doing what he was supposed to do. He was coming to God by faith, offering his sacrifice the way he was supposed to do. He was just living righteously. That's all he knew. That's all he knew to do. He wasn't after Cain. He wasn't doing anything, but Cain killed him because he hated the fact that Abel was righteous and Abel was righteous. Hebrews 11 tells us by faith, not because of anything that he did. He he hated him because he was righteous. And it says, John says, look, that's been going on since the very beginning. So don't marvel brethren. If, if the world hates you, that's what the world does. That's what it's supposed to do. You're not supposed to get along with the world. They're supposed to look at your life whether you say anything or not, and the way that you live, the way that you walk, the way that you follow Christ, they're supposed to look at you and they're supposed to hate you. They are against Christ. They are against God. We've seen it in chapter two. It calls them anti-Christ. He said, they don't, don't be surprised if they hate you. That's what the world does. That's what the world has always done. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. But the very next verse, he gives us this evidence, this test. He says the world is going to hate the brethren. It's a fact. It's a fact. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you are. If you are of Christ, the world, its system, its, its, its values, its morals, its all that. They're going to hate you. They're going to hate you. It says, but we know. It says, we know in verse 14 that we have passed from death unto life. Well, how do we know that? Because we love the brethren it says he that loveth not his brother abides in death. Here is the evidence. Here is he says, look, you're either of the world or you're of Christ. One of the two. There's no there's no third option. There's two kinds of people. There's saved people and there's lost people. And that's it. There's no there's no middle ground. There's no I'm working my way toward it. I'm doing better than I used to be. In God's eyes, you are either perfect in Christ or you are his enemy. There's only two options. He says, look, the world is going to hate you. If you are of the brethren, the world hates the brethren. It's simple as that. There's no if there's no there's no uh, mitigating circumstances. There's nothing that he says, well, if this or we might do that, he says plain as fact, plain as day. Don't marvel that the world hates you. That's the way it's been from the beginning. Look back at Cain and Abel. He says, but we know those, those of us who are the brethren, those of us who are the family. It says, we know that we've passed from death to life. We don't have to be, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to come to God, uh, you know, worrying about if he's going to accept us. We know that we've passed from death to life. It's a done deal. Look what it's not saying. Please hear me. This is very important. It's not saying Hey guys, let's all get together and love the brethren so we can pass from death to life. It's not saying that. If you walk out of here and you say, you know what? I need to love more. Hey, welcome to the human race. I need to love more too. Most of y'all know me, know for a fact I need to love more. It says, 
you have passed. Done deal. You, you, have, you have life. You have passed from death to life. It's over. It's a past tense thing. It happened back there. The way that I know that I have passed from death to life is that I love the brethren. It says, he that loveth not his brother is abiding in death. We've seen that word abiding over and over again here in 1 John. And so what he's saying here is, look, this is a test. We're not talking about perfect love. You don't love nobody perfectly. I don't either. We're not talking about loving the brethren perfectly. That's going to come when we're glorified. But what is what he is talking about here is that God, by the by the spirit of God, when you're born again, he puts a fruit of the spirit in you. It's called love and it's love for the brethren. There's something that we have. You and I, if you're born again, we have a connection that transcends all other connections. That connection is both of us are united in Christ. We have that. We have a new identity in Christ. We are adopted into the family of God. We are part of the family of God. And there's something about that where 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 my spirit calls out to your spirit. And and we know that we're we're brethren. We know that we're family. We know that there's a there's a connection between us that supersedes all of the things it says in in a. Ezekiel 36, he says, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'll cause you. I'll cause you to walk in my commandments. I'll cause you to walk in my statutes. I'll cause you to love. I will cause you to love the brethren. It's a fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, on and on and on. It's a fruit of the spirit that you love the brethren, that you love. Let's break it on down. That you love the church, that you love Christ's people. This is one of the evidences that John gives. He's given us two sides. If you're of the world, you hate the brethren. We're going to talk about what hate and love is here. John is. I, I mean, I'm just going to read it. He says, if you're of the world, you hate the brethren. If you're of the faith, you love the brethren. Those are the only two options that he offers right here. He says, don't marvel because the world hates you. That's the way it's always been. That's the way it's always going to be. He says, but you rejoice in the fact that you love the brethren because that that's how you know that you've passed from death to life, that you love the brethren, that you are part of the body of Christ. And so it says we know that we've passed from death to life because we love uh, we love the brethren. He that hateth his brother abideth in death. And it says whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. So it says here here is how here's how you know. He says, this is, if you are a hater, hater of the body, you know, you're a murderer. We're not talking about, you could say, you know, I, I haven't gone out and killed anybody. I haven't stabbed anybody. I haven't taken anybody's life. But the reality is that what we're talking about is in your heart here. We're talking about a heart condition. We're talking about something like when you stand before people, when you stand before God and you have not loved the brethren, he's going to accuse you of being a murderer. If you hate someone, if you hate the brethren, if you hate the church, if you hate God's people, if you hate his bride, you will be accused of breaking. You'll be condemned for breaking the, I'm going to say the sixth or seventh command. It's one of them commands. Uh, Thou shalt not murder. He says, look, if you hate your brethren, you're a murderer. You are a murderer, just like Cain. Now you say, I had never hit anybody with a rock. I had never murdered anybody. But God looks on the inside. He looks on the heart. He says, the one that hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. This doesn't mean that a murderer can't have eternal life. I mean, it doesn't mean that a murderer can't repent and come to faith in Christ and be forgiven of a sin. It doesn't mean anything like that. What it's talking about is somebody who's just, you know, living in hatred for the brethren. Living in hatred for the church, living in hatred for God's people. 
It says we know, we know, we know that we've passed from death to life because we, we're the ones who love the brethren. He says the one who hates his brother, that's a murderer. He's just like Cain. Cain was of the wicked one. He was of the wicked one, not because he committed murder. He committed murder because he was of the wicked one. I hope you understand that. I hope you understand that this is not saying go do better and God will accept you. Good luck. That means God's not accepting none of us. What it's saying is that when you're born again, God will change you. God will change your heart and that change will continue to change you throughout your life. Are you loving perfectly? No. Uh, Can you look at your life even in the last week and say, man, I have blown it in the love department so many times. Yes, of course you can. Of course you will. But the point is your heart desires to love the brethren. Your heart desires to love Christ's people. I've used this example over and over again, and I know you've heard it. You know, you can't come to me and say, I want to have fellowship with you and say, but you need to keep your, your wife away from me because she's a hypocrite and she's a whatever. All the things that people accuse the church of being. You can't. I won't have fellowship with you. And so a person comes and say, I love Jesus, but, you know, I, I don't really have no time for his church. I hate those people. They're all hypocrites. They're all whatever. I mean, good luck. Good luck standing before the bridegroom and telling him that his perfect bride that he died to make perfect is not worthy of your attention, not worthy of your investment, not worthy of your love. Good luck with that. I mean, that can you imagine somebody coming and doing that? So it says, continuing on, let's go uh, so we can get done. It says. Whosoever hateth his brother, then verse uh, 16 says, hereby perceive we the love of God. He says, look, this is what it means to love God. Now, when I say I've said this two or three times already, the one who loves God, the one who loves the brethren is of God. The one who hates the brethren is of the world. John has told us that marvel not that the world hates you. And it's told us we know we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. So really, it all boils down to what is the definition of love, isn't it? Because I can love you the way that Hollywood says love is. I can love you the way that books and songs and music and and, and TV and movies says love is. And really, that's not going to be any, you know, that's really not love. Love is not just a feeling that you feel in your heart that's all warm and fuzzy. And it just makes you want to skip through the tulips and think about rainbows and unicorns and all that kind of stuff. That's really not love. And love is not just, quote unquote, being nice to people. You know, it's not just being nice. A lot of people think they love someone just because they don't really do anything to hurt them. They don't do anything bad to them. You know, I'm pretty good to those folks. So therefore, I love them. That's not what love is. He defines it for us. He says, hereby we perceive the love of God. This is how we know what God's love looks like. It says, because he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. And he says, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren, more than likely, more than likely, you're not going to have to sacrifice your life by having your head chopped off or jumping in front of a bullet or something like that for your brothers today. More than likely, that's not going to happen. It's possible and it's probably coming maybe, but more than likely, it's not going to happen today. But what we do is we sacrifice our lives for the brethren. We invest our lives into the brethren. We give ourselves for our brothers and sisters. It says, this is, this is how God loved you. This is how we know what God's love is because God gave his son. 
Jesus took upon himself. He emptied himself, became in the form of a servant, gave his own life on a cross and died for you. And that's how love is demonstrated. It sacrifices, it gives, it's an investment. It says we give our life for the brethren. We give our lives for them. You spend your life investing in others. In the bride of Christ, you spend your life encouraging and, and praying for and building up and strengthening and evangelizing and witnessing and discipling. And you spend your life, you give your life away in order to build up Christ's bride. That's really not going on a lot today, is it? It sure isn't. I've heard even this week, I heard a couple of people say, well, we don't we don't really we don't really go to church. And it's not about going to church. It's about investing yourself in the bride. We don't really go to church because, you know, all them people are just hypocrites and they all just don't. You know, it's better for me. I can just sit home and read my Bible and all that kind of stuff. Hey, knock yourself out. But I want to want you to know that the Bible doesn't know anything about that kind of Christian. The Bible doesn't know anything about that kind of believer. It says, we know this is the love that God has shown to us. He gave his son. Jesus did not love you from afar. Jesus did not love you and have compassion on you from heaven and say, look down and say, oh, oh man, they're in trouble. I sure wish somebody would help them. He didn't look at you from up there and go, man, I, I sure wish I, I sure wish they would do right. Man, my goodness, I wish that didn't happen to you. I sure feel bad for you. I sure feel sorry for you. No, he left the splendor of heaven and he came and he gave his life. He gave his life for you so that you could be free from sin. He gave his life for you so you could be forgiven. He gave his life for you so God could accept you. He gave everything he had so that you could come and be holy in the eyes of God. And it said because he did that, that love of God, that's how we perceive the love of God. It's how we know the love of God. He said we ought to lay down our lives. For the brethren, we ought to invest our lives. So many people are, are, are out there looking for purpose and meaning in their life. They're looking for things that are going to make me happy, things that are going to satisfy me in life, things that are going to, uh, uh, you know, just make life worth living and, and, and build me up. When the reality is Jesus said, I have left the brethren here for you to take your life and pour into them. And that giving your life away, the one who's last is going to be First, the one who pours his life into the brethren is the one who, who loves the brethren, the one who has been changed by God. And so when it says we know we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren, we can take that definition of love and says, say, look, we are laying our lives down for the body of Christ. Isn't it easy to say I love the church as a whole? What's hard is when that you have to love an individual believer. It's easy to say, boy, I love the church as long as we're thinking of the church as nameless and faceless and just this big organization, this big group. It's, it, it's kind of easy to love. Oh, I love the church. Oh, yeah, the church is great. But boy, when you have to love that individual who, who, who let's face it, ain't worth loving. I wasn't worth loving. I'm still not worth loving. 
When you have to love that individual by pouring your life, sacrificing your life, sacrificing your things, your time, your talents, your your whatever, pouring your life into that person, making disciples is what Jesus told us to do. Go forth and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He told us to make disciples. And so when you come, it's a whole lot easier to to love the church and to keep yourself kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Away from individuals. We love the group, but when it comes to loving an individual believer, when it comes to pouring my life, sacrificing my life for a need that somebody has, when it comes for to encouraging someone, when it comes to being that hand of God, that voice of God to someone when they need you, when they're here and they're hurting or they're whatever, he said, that's a whole different deal. That's hard. That's hard to do. It's hard to pour your life into that. And you're not doing it perfectly, and I promise you, I'm not doing it perfectly. But there's a desire in your heart to love the brethren. There is a desire that comes with being born again that you love God's people and you want to build them up. You want to strengthen them. You want them to succeed. You want them to prosper. You want them to grow. You want them to be stronger in the faith. You want them to go out and represent your Christ in a real and mighty way out there in the world. You want them to, uh, you want them to be his name out in the world and you invest your life in that. You invest your life in the brethren. It says we ought, we are, we are obligated to lay down our lives for the brethren. That is what love is. That's how we know love because God laid down his life for us. Christ came and laid down his life for us. And so it says in verse 19, I got to hurry. It says, no, 17. Hereby we, 16, perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. Uh, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And it says, now listen, I'm going to take this verse apart. Only two more verses. I'm going to take this verse apart. And I'm going to show you what it means. It says, but whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need, shutteth up his bowels of compassion for him. How dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Now look at this verse, verse 17. Go back to 17 for a second, Sarah Beth. It says, whoever has this world's good. It's not just talking about money. It's not just talking about stuff. It's talking about all the things of life. The word good, there's where we get the word biology, bio. It means life, the things that you need for life. Yes, it's talking about money. Yes, it's talking about goods. Yes, it's talking about things. It's talking about everything that you need for life. It says if you have it, so you you can't just say, well, I'm poor. I'm, you know, I don't have no money. I'm scraping by trying to get, so this verse doesn't apply to me. No, sir. You can't say that. It says anybody who has the world's good, the stuff that you need for life, the stuff that other people need for life, to live, to be happy, to, to, to go about life. If you have that, it says, and you see if your brother in need, Now, be very careful right here. It says you see your brother in need. It's not talking about everybody with their hand out talking about I got a need. It's not talking about everybody saying, well, I can't, you know, the Bible is clear about working and eating. The Bible is clear about in in 1 Timothy chapter 5, it talked to Paul tells Timothy about the widows. He said, you know, you don't, don't be, don't be uh, giving the church's resources to widows that have family. It's first Timothy five. I can read it to you. 
And so we're not talking about every joker walking around with his hand out. We're not talking about everybody walking around who's saying, oh, I, you know, that don't want to spend their own resources because they want somebody else to do it. We're not talking about none of that. We're talking about when you see a need, when you see a brother in need, when we're talking about somebody who has a real need, we're talking about it. It kind of implies that you have to be around the brethren, doesn't it? I mean, if you don't ever come to where the brethren's at, if you don't ever gather with the brethren, if you don't ever fellowship with the brethren, if you don't ever invest your life in the brethren, I mean, you really can't see any needs of the brethren. So when we say, you know what, I really don't know of anybody that has a need that I need to help. It might be because you've refused God's command to assemble with the brethren. It might be you refuse God's command to uh, to fellowship with the brethren, to interact with the brethren. I got to tell you, it's simple to come to church. It's simple to come sit on one of these chairs and listen to to uh, a sermon and listen to the music and then walk out and go home. It's easy to do that because I don't have to invest anything. I'm investing an hour of my life. I'm investing an hour and I'm putting it right there. Uh, you know, if I come on Sunday night, and Wednesday night, that's what we're supposed to do. But not fellowshipping with uh, each other, not understanding the needs of our brethren, not being involved with each other, not loving each other. It's easy to do. It's easy to love the church as a big whole. It's easy to love the whole world church. It's a whole lot easier to love people in China than it is people next door to you. I promise you that. It's easy to do that. But it says, look, the one who has the world's good, the one who has. And we're not just talking about money. We're talking about your time. We're talking about your talents. We're talking about the things that you're able to do. We're thought we're talking about anything that you have that some that may strengthen somebody else. Sometimes throwing money at people is the worst thing you can do. So we're not talking about, hey, if you've got extra money, you're supposed to be giving it. We're not talking about that. We're talking about investing your life. We're talking about investing your life in, in the believers, in the brethren. It says, if you see that brother in need, you, you observe that person's life and you realize that they have a need in their life and you can help with that need. Forget money. I mean, I know that's going through everybody's mind. I can feel it still. Forget that. And we're not talking about giving people money. You see your brother in need and you have advice. You have scripture. You have prayer. You have experience that you've been through that. And you can help. You can help the person who's going through it now because you've been through it. God's brought you through it or he's shown you, uh, given you a scripture for them or whatever. You see that brother in need. It says the one who has that. And sees his brother in need and shuts up his bowels of compassion, shuts up his heart, removes himself from the situation, stays away from all the people that have needs, stays away from the fellowship of the saints, just neglects the body of believers, just pulls back and says, you know what, I'm not going to be a part of that. It's too messy. It's too hurtful. It says, how can the love of God dwell in him? How dwelleth the love of God in him? And the question doesn't, he doesn't answer the question. What he's meaning for, what he's meaning to say is the love of God doesn't dwell in him. Now, are there times when you and I have pulled back? I guarantee you there's times. It's a hurt. It's a messy, messy thing to get involved with people's lives. It hurts. It's no fun. A lot of times you invest yourself and you pour into yourself and it just looks like months later, they've turned and walked away from the Lord, walked away. And you're thinking, well, 
I mean, did I do something wrong? Why, what difference does it make? The difference is Jesus told Peter, he said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, well, Jesus, you know that I love you. He said, well, then this is what you need to do if you love me. You need to feed my sheep. And he did it two more times. Peter, do you love me? Oh, you know, I love you. And Peter was getting like a little worried, like, you know something I don't know. (laughs) Then you feed my, if you love me. Now, I love y'all, but it doesn't say if you love the sheep, feed the sheep. It says, if you love me, then you'll feed my sheep, my lambs. You have your problems. I have my problems. I can promise you, I am not living perfectly the way God wants me to live in any way, shape, or form. But I'm still one of God's lambs. You're still one of God's lambs. He still, he still fought enough of you to die on the cross for your sin. He still thought enough of me, even though I was so unworthy in, while in the midst of my sin. I, I, I can promise you, if we're going to have a sin fight in here, I, I'm going I'm to win. I mean, I got some stories. And God loved me even in the midst of that. Even in the midst of all that nastiness, he loved me. And even in the midst of your stuff, he loved you. So what I want you to see is if God himself dwells in us, then we, for Christ's sake, should see that worth in each other as well. Even when you hurt me, even when I hurt you, even when it's messy, we love the brethren. We invest our lives. And look, he wants to make sure you know that you're not perfect yet. The very next verse, the last verse we're going to look at, he gives you an exhortation. He said, look, guys, this is true in your heart. So let's just let's stop just loving in word and tongue. He says, let's let's not love in word and tongue. And he's saying he's not saying don't love in word and tongue. He's saying don't do that only. He says you need to love in deed and in truth. The evidence that you've been born again is that you have a love for God's people in your heart. That's the evidence. Is it is it perfect? No. Is it if you can look at yourself and say, well, man, I'm really dropping the ball. That's the point. That's what John wants you to see. That's what he's doing. He's he's using the Holy Spirit is using John to convict you and to convict me and say, you know what? I need to love the brethren more. But understand the point of all of this, the point of everything that we've talked about in first John is not. You can't say I need to love the brethren more so that God will accept me. It's not how it works. You have a love for the brethren in your heart. And what happens to us, I'm just telling you from my perspective. I'm just going to tell you from me. It may not have nothing to do with y'all. What happens to me is I love the brethren and I want to pour my life into a brother or a sister. And it usually ends up with a hole in my back. And so I say, you know, I, I, I'm skeptical. I'm, I'm cautious. I don't want to. I don't want to put myself out there. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. And I want you to know, just, hey, forget, I don't, y'all are probably doing good. I for my own life, that's, that's, that's not right. It's, it's more than not right, it's sin. I am, you, Brother Eddie's told me, if he's told me once, he's told me a hundred times. You're doing what you do for Jesus. You're on the path and people come in, they go out. You're still on the path and you're supposed to love them as they come into the path. And if they go out, nothing you can do about it. You just stay on the path. 
And that's no truer advice has ever been given. And that's exactly what John is saying here. He's saying, look, you know that you love Christ. You know that God has has given you a new heart because you love the brethren. And I can promise you it's going to hurt. It's going to be messy. This is an exhortation for you to examine yourself, whether you be of the faith or not. We've seen already that you if you if you've been born of God, you believe what God has said about himself, what Christ has said about himself. And you are following after his commands. You are you are chasing after him to be obedient to him. And here's the third test. You love the brethren and you're giving your life away for them. You're investing your life for them. I hope that makes sense. He says, look, don't you don't just love in word. Don't just love with your with your tongue. He says, love like Jesus loved you. What did Jesus do? He didn't love you from afar. He didn't love you by just having compassion on you. He had compassion on you so that he came and gave. He walked right into your pit and pulled you out of it by giving his own life. He says, you love the brethren by investing your heart, your life into the brethren. And that's the evidence that you've been born again. Not that you're doing it wonderful, but that you have that love in your heart. It's not something you can drum up. If you look down into your heart today and you realize, you know what? I just don't want to do none of that. I don't have no desire to do that. You need to examine yourself whether you've been born again. You can look at your heart and say, you know what? I really want to, but I'm cautious and I'm, I don't want to get hurt. I'm tired and I'm not doing it perfectly. And I find myself sinning. You can all that. But if you look down in your heart and there's no desire. Let me say this and then I'll be done. The way that you examine love is the same way that you examine faith. What did James say about faith? So you show me your faith by what? By your deeds, by your works. The same way you examine love is you examine is the same way you examine faith. Love is shown because your heart is deceitful. Mine is too. I'm telling you what, it doesn't matter what I do. I can justify my actions. I can say, well, you know, my heart's right. I really wanted to. I'm a, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer, you know, who Jeffrey Dahmer is. He gave an interview to a guy before he died in prison. I'm really a good person. That's what I said. Like what? You're a good person. The way you examine your love is the same way you examine your faith. Is it producing works? Faith is what saves you. Grace through faith. No works. No one can boast. Nothing you can do to earn it. Nothing. It's a gift of God. Nobody can boast about it. But faith inside of you will produce works all the time. And that's how you examine. Love this love for the brethren. You can't drum it up. You can't work for it. You can't change your mind. You can't make a decision. You can't say, you know what? I'm going to start today. It doesn't work that way. It will only come from God. And that love will always produce works. Examine yourself today, whether you be of the faith or not. I don't know. Only you know. Only you can know. But he said today, Cain, Cain was unacceptable before God, but God gave him an opportunity. He said, if you would just do what's right, won't you be accepted? Of course you will. Today, it doesn't matter. You could have been Cain and went out and murdered somebody yesterday. If you come today, he says, look, if you do what's right, you'll be accepted. If you come to me the way Abel came, by faith, 
By faith, Abel brought a sacrifice that was accepted by, accepted by God. If you come to him trusting, repenting of your sin, trusting that he died for your sins, he said he would forgive you, he would cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and there would be not one speck of sin on your account when you stand before him. Not only that, he himself would come in and sup with you. He would come in and live in your heart and he would live through you. So no longer will you have to depend on my own love or my own heart or my own will or my own stuff. He says, I'll come and I'll live in you. And then you can say with Paul, you know what? I don't even live anymore. It's not I that live. It's Christ that lives in me. It's not even me doing it. It's Jesus who's changed me. Jesus who's producing all those things and all the beautiful crowns that you get when you stand before him at the end. You know what you're going to do with him? You're going to toss him right at his feet because he's the one that did it for you anyway. He's the one that gave you the, the power to love the brethren, to do the good works, to chase after righteousness. He's the one that did it for you. He says, if you come to me, I'll give you rest. You won't have to work anymore. My yoke is easy. My burden's light. I'm going to do it in you. He says, you come to me. And those that come to me, I'll, know, I'll in no wise cast out. Repent today and trust him. Trust him with your heart. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel.